So glad you could join us here for another episode of Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagonblast. Well, this is called Cranford Radio, and you may be wondering why today's guest is a guest on Cranford Radio. My guest is Westfield Police Chief Christopher Badaloro, but the reason that he is on the podcast is not so much just because he's the Westfield Police Chief, but he lives in Cranford. Chief, welcome to Cranford Radio. Thank you, Bernie. Pleasure to be here. With this I want to talk a little bit about a few different things, but why don't we start off with your upbringing in terms of being involved with emergency response, first responders, all of that. Your childhood, you had a front row seat as far as that was concerned. Tell us a little bit about that, please. So uh, my father was a uh, career firefighter in Westfield. He retired as the uh, the chief of the fire department in 2000 after 34 years. So I grew up around police and fire and all the activity that comes with it. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up as a, as a child, I, I desperately wanted to be a fireman. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father made it very clear when I was uh, ready to enter the workforce that under no no circumstances whatsoever <laughs> would he ever hire me. Um, and he actually pushed me to the police department. So, um, you know, one month after graduating college, uh, I wound up here in the Westfield Police Department. And uh, last month, I start my 29th year here. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Now, I'm curious, You, when you went to college, your major was history, if I'm not mistaken. It was history. Uh, I was looking to, it was history pre-law. I was, I was considering um pursuing a law degree, um, mm-hmm. I thought it would have uh, better suited me for a position with federal law enforcement. But, um, you know, I was ready to get it, get into the workforce um, mm-hmm. and was looking for, you know, a job. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the police job opened up for me uh, about a month after graduating uh, college. What was it about police work that was appealing to you? Why did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do with your life? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, initially, when I when I took the job with the Westfield Police, it was with the intent of of perhaps looking to um, then eventually go with a federal agency like the DEA or or something like that. But um, you know, working in your hometown and doing this job um, just brought so much pleasure to me. It brought such satisfaction to me um, that uh, you know I eventually decided that this is just where I wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. And you started in in really the front lines as a nine one one operator, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, 22 months as a uh, as a 911 operator um, and then hired as a police officer. Now, over the, the 29 years that you've been a police officer, obviously technology has changed quite a bit. Tell me a little bit about how technology has changed police work for you and for police in general. Well, I'll tell you, if you told me 29 years ago that uh, all of our officers would be wearing cameras, on their person at all times and recording their interactions with the public, um, you know, I, I would tell you it would never happen. Um, when I came on 29 years ago, we hand wrote reports that were then retyped by a typist and then signed. And, you know, now we have computers in our cars, we have um, printers in our cars. No longer do we handwrite tickets, they're all computer generated, ripped off a printer. And, and, and I mean, just um, the, the way technology, you know, right now in Westfield, uh, you know, character, characteristically, Westfield is very similar to Cranford. And a lot of the crime problems that Cranford deals with are the same problems we have here in Westfield. Um, very similar towns. Westfield is a little bit larger um, area wise, its population is a little bit greater, but um, characteristically very similar. 
Um, and right now, perhaps uh, one of the biggest problems affecting Union County municipalities is car theft. Um, they get us for about 30 cars a year here in Westfield. Um, and from 2021 to 2022, we were able to reduce car theft about 46% in large part to the implementation of technology, specifically license plate readers um, that we have at entry and exit points in town that um, take pictures of license plates of vehicles, um, run them through databases and give us instant real-time alerts to stolen vehicles entering our town. And we use that technology and that real-time information to direct our resources to the area where those stolen cars are. It's been well documented that most people who come to Westfield to steal cars are coming in stolen cars and then looking to steal more cars. So when we get those real-time alerts for stolen cars entering our town at three, four, five o'clock in the morning, we get pictures of them. They go right to our, our computers in our cars. They go right to our cell phones. I even get them on my Apple watch while I'm lying in bed. Um, <laughs> so we get those real time alerts and that information tells us, hey, you know, a stolen car entered Westfield here at this point. Um, and we know then where to focus our resources. And a lot of times we will locate those stolen vehicles and we will drive them out. Um, such that we've, you know, reduced our, our vehicle theft almost 46% from 2021 to 2022. From 2022 to 2023, we are at 18 right now, which mm -hmm. is still uh, a substantial reduction from the, the, the almost 30 numbers that we've been seeing over the years. Um, but yeah, technology is, is what's driving us and is telling us where to go and when, when, when we need to be there. So it's incredible. Wow. Well, I want to ask a question about those license plate readers, because... I see a lot of vehicles, and certainly these are not stolen vehicles in most cases, but they have the film covering the license plate. Yes. I'm assuming that a lot of that is there so people don't get tickets from surveillance cameras or enforcement cameras, I should call them, that, you know, um, either at, in if you're going into the New York City or something like that. How do you overcome that challenge? I would think, and that criminals aren't always known for being the smartest people in the world, but they're smarter if, than you think. Believe but me, if they, they, put, they, they know how to circumvent the technology that we're using. So, yes, you know, license plate covers that then make the characters of the license plate, um, you know, obscured and not visible or can't be read by the cameras certainly has an impact. Um, but really what we're seeing is criminals are now starting to use more and more fictitious license plates that are read by the LPRs um, and they're not recognized as stolen because the plates have not yet been reported stolen, but the vehicle that they're being displayed on is in fact stolen. The, the criminals, um, they are very smart. Um, they know how to circumvent the technology that we're using um, and, you know, it's just a matter of time before we have to find a way to one up them. But it's always a game of they're trying to one up us. We're trying to one up them. But yes, you know, those license plate covers that obstruct um, our visibility of your license plate is a violation of the motor vehicle uh, statute 39 colon 3 dash 33, which is unclear plates. Um, but yes, that is a way to to kind of circumvent the technology that we're using. So you see a lot of that at the um, the bridges and tunnels for the Port Authority. People mm -hmm. struck license plates so that they can't be read by the cameras. So they don't know who to send the ticket to or the the um, the uh, the toll fee to. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, talking about technology early in your career, you were part of the high tech task force for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. And at that point in time, we were really just starting to get into the internet and all that goes along with it. 
what were some of the things that you learned? Why did you want to be on that task force? And you know, is that something that obviously is still even more important when we talk about cyber attacks and all that goes along with high tech? Yeah. You know, that was a, a unit. I wasn't necessarily looking to be assigned to it at the time, but I was assigned and it was an assignment and I and I took it um, and I did my best with it. But, you know, the the Internet, you know, I think it only came about around what, 19, the mid 90s, 95, mm-hmm. 94, 95. Um, and I was assigned to that unit back in 2001 or so, 2000, 2001. So really, um, you know, criminals just were were um, finding ways to use the Internet and computers to commit crime. Um, they were, you know, stealing credit cards, placing online purchases, having the, the 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 items purchased delivered to drop locations. But really, one of the things that we we focused on down there was the exploitation of children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so many kids. You know, AOL was big at the time, and and kids were in chat rooms, and and there were predators in those chat rooms looking to you know, um, take advantage of, of children, you know, through um, various means, uh, you know, having them send illicit pictures. And and so we did a lot of work with the exploitation of children um, and missing persons and the child pornography, um, things of that nature. People who were, as a matter of fact, one of the first cases that came out of, of that unit um, was a case generated by a Cranford detective that I worked with down there. Um, he actually, um, while undercover in a uh, chat room, lured somebody to Cranford with the intent to engage in a sexual act with a minor, um, which at the time, the laws really hadn't caught up to the technology that existed, but he was charged with uh, attempted aggravated sexual assault. I believe that matter eventually played out, but it was one of the first cases of its type in New Jersey, where somebody actually traveled to Cranford um, with the intent to engage in a sexual act with somebody that he reasonably believed to be a minor. Um, and, you know, to do so is, is a statutory aggravated um, uh, sexual assault. Um, but, you know, there were there were no real applicable statutes at the time to charge him with. Um, today, there are. You know, I don't know if you've been following the news, but we had an incident at uh, Cranford, uh, Westfield High School um, where artificial intelligence was used to generate pornographic images of, of students in the school, which was then circulated. And even today's laws really haven't caught up with the technology that exists today. So, um, you know, what we did was was kind of groundbreaking back in 2000. Um, mm-hmm. But the technology keeps changing. Back then, it used to be we morphed photos, we used Photoshop, and now it's it's AI being used to generate pictures of of you know children engaged in sexually illicit positions and and uh, and such. So it was um, it was incredible then. It's just as incredible now the way technology is being used to commit crimes um, and to take advantage and to exploit children. We're talking now about how technology has been used in a negative way. With AI, how do you see that helping in police work in the future now or in the future? Is it already being used in police work? Yes, in in, in some ways. I I will tell you, as a police chief here, um, if I wasn't considering um, utilizing um, the technology that is available to combat crime and to make our community safer, um, I would be tremendously remiss in my duties. Um, We are always looking at the technology that is out there. Um, we have drones, 
We have, um, as a matter of fact, we're looking to to purchase another drone with greater capabilities. You know, it's funny, we, we we go out and we play with our drones and, you know, people are complaining that we're using this technology to spy on them. Um, but when we had a, a home invasion um, that resulted in an aggravated sexual assault and a robbery and the suspect fled on foot through a residential neighborhood and we immediately put up our drones, I didn't hear any complaints about that. That technology is there. It's to help us do this job better. Uh, and more efficiently. And, you know, um, we're always looking to implement um, any type of technology that can help us make this community safer, capture bad guys quicker, um, and just make us, you know, Westfield a more safer place to live. You also touched on this, Chris, a little bit about Westfield, Cranford. They're very similar towns in many ways. Uh, Obviously, there are other towns around Westfield, like Scotch Plains and Garwood and Clark, etc., there's only so much one town can do by itself. Talk about the cooperation that exists between police departments. Some of that, I'm sure, comes through the prosecutor's office, but there's more than that, isn't there? Yeah. So, you know, we work hand in hand with with uh, a lot of our, our neighboring departments. Um, you know, we only have so many officers working at, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. Something big happens. We rely on on assistance from other municipalities. You know, with our car theft problem, I can tell you Cranford has implemented the same LPR technology um, and we monitor real time their cameras as well as ours. Um, So and and vice versa, the information collected by ours is shared with Cranford. So there is a lot of of sharing of data uh, among municipalities that uh, are using the LPRs, a lot of sharing of criminal intelligence that our detectives, um, you know, come across during the course of their investigations that is shared. Uh, with our neighboring municipalities. We work hand in hand uh, with a lot of them conducting criminal investigations. But really, at the end of the day, um, in an emergency, we rely on our neighbors as much as our neighbors rely on us. Switching from technology to another aspect that has certainly affected police work. A few years ago, we had the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota, and that has had a great impact on police officers around the country. Tell me a little bit about how that's affected you and the Westfield Police Department, please. Well, I'll tell you, it's certainly put all of law enforcement, not just Westfield, but all of law enforcement in a negative light. Um, and, you know, it's it's disheartening because, you know, I come to work every day. I've devoted 29 years of my life to this job. Um, and these officers here that I work with, um, they do so much good in the community. But that that incident in you know Minneapolis has cast such a negative light over law enforcement, all of law enforcement. You know, I, I, I tell people. You know, there's there's got to be over 30,000 cops in the state of New Jersey. There are bad, there's bound to be, you know, a few bad apples in there. Every profession has good and bad. You know, there are good politicians, there are bad politicians, good doctors, bad doctors, good lawyers, you know, and, you know, law enforcement is is no different. It's just everything, though, that we do is under the microscope. It's, um, you know, it hits the news when a cop is arrested. Um, it's it, It's just really accentuated. Um, and trying to overcome that and, and to let people know that, you know what, the, the the problems, you know, in the Minneapolis Police Department and a lot of these other police departments, you know, even going back to Rodney King in the 1990s, I mean, those incidents, yeah, they are so few and far between. Um, they cast a tremendous negative light on law enforcement as a whole, but that is not representative of law enforcement as a whole. You know, the, the men and women of this department are are really some outstanding people who come to work every single day. Um, and treat the men and women, the residents of this community with the same respect they treat their very own families. And I see it every single day. 
Um, their interactions are recorded with body-worn cameras. They're reviewed. They're subject to uh, random uh, reviews. And, and we, you know, everything from did they follow procedures to were they courteous? I mean, it's all reviewed and, and analyzed. And we give these officers feedback. What I see these officers doing on an everyday basis, you know, we answer almost 60,000 calls for service a year. So while people may say they don't like the police um, and they don't need the police, the statistical data that I see suggests otherwise. Um, you know, we have a whole wall here in our police department that is nothing but thank you letters from people. Um, and you see, you know, the things that we've done and the way we impacted people's lives. I know that while many people may not like the police, they need us. We are a necessary, um, you know, entity in today's society. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's very heartwarming to see the thanks and the praise that we get from some people. It's also very negative to see, you know, the the the, the feedback that we get that's sometimes not so positive. But, um, you know, some of the things we do are we're, you know, when you're out making arrests, enforcing the law, writing tickets, it, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't bode well for community relations, but it's part of our job and it does make the streets safer. Um, but, you know, our officers routinely come to work. Um, they're doing good things. They're saving lives. Um, you know, very, very often our officers, we do so much more than just law enforcement here. I mean, we are very much a, a public safety and service agency. You know, law actually going out and enforcing the law is a very small fraction of what we do here. Um, we respond to over 3,000 medical calls for service a year. I can't tell you how many times this year we've uh, successfully revived people um, from sudden cardiac arrest and opioid overdoses, which is another tremendous problem in our community. You know, Westfield is a is a very affluent community, and the opioid epidemic does not recognize race, color, sex. It, it recognizes none of that. People you would not even suspect um, having an opioid problem uh, do in fact have it, overdose, and, and you know, we're there to, to revive them. It, it, it's gotten so bad that every single one of our officers carries a two-dose packet of Narcan on his or her person at all times. I mean, that's how often um, we've been utilizing you know, the Narcan, the antidote itself. So, I mean, you know, again, uh, our officers are just doing tremendous things. George Floyd, you know, I, there's there's no explanation for what happened there other than it was wrong. It was it was unlawful. It did, you know, the attention that we got as law enforcement as a whole, we deserved it. Um, changes needed to be implemented. Um, and I think a lot of departments um, have, in fact, um, you know, done those types of changes to to make themselves a more reputable. I, I know we went through the accreditation process here. We are an accredited law enforcement agency. We went one step further. We also accredited our communication center. At the time, we were one of only five agencies out of probably 550 plus agencies in the state of New Jersey that can say they were both accredited for their agency and for their communication center. So we are really trying to professionalize our operations here to be a very reputable um, public safety and service agency, one that is worthy of your trust and confidence. I think a lot of this all gets back to community relations and something probably that was not part of the curriculum when you were going through the police academy, the Union County Police Academy, and becomes increasingly important as you go and rise in rank. Now as chief, you're not just a law enforcement officer, but you're the face, if you will, of the police department. What about that part of the job? What is that like for you since you didn't necessarily have that training in college to be 
in front of the media and to be that person. If something big happens in Westfield, the news cameras are going to be coming to you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I will tell you, one of my first orders of business when I made chief here uh, five years ago was the creation of a juvenile and community policing bureau uh, within the police department. Um, and we took um, some of our detectives and assigned them to this unit, as well as our school resource officers. And their sole purpose, it was actually twofold. One was to make sure that we were devoting sufficient investigative resources to some of our most vulnerable segments of the community, that being juveniles, um, that being the senior citizens, our elderly, and also those with special needs. Um, make sure that they weren't falling through the cracks here and that um, you know their needs and concerns were being uh, recognized by the police intended to. The other function of that bureau was to build community relations. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we cannot do this job. We, law enforcement, the police, cannot do this job unless we have the cooperation of the community. We need people to come forward to be witnesses, to give witness statements, to give victim statements so that we can build our cases and charge people criminally. And people are not going to do that. They're not going to trust the police unless you give them a reason to. So really so much of what we do, we host you know, a number of community policing events. I like to run one to two a month um, to get out into the community and to build relationships and start putting um, you know, names to faces and recognizing people and building relationships where there's this a bond, there's, there's a, a sense of trust between us um, where people know who you are, they feel comfortable around you, they're willing to talk to you. Um, and you know, this, is, this is really the heart of community policing is building relationships and using those relationships um, to identify and solve problems in the community. And you know, people aren't just going to trust the police, you have to build that. And the way we do it, at least here in Westfield, is through community policing activities. Um, some of them focus on, on children. Some of them focus on those with special needs. Um, and some of them, you know, focus on senior citizens. We routinely go down to our, our two senior citizens complexes here in Westfield and we have events for them, whether it's, um, you know, bingo with prizes that are donated um, or we go to our schools and it's bike rodeos. Um, or it's pizza with the police, you know, I mean, we've really, our, our signature event is National Night Out in, in August. Um, Cranford does a very great job at National Night Out as well. Um, but really, it's, it's, it's an event that brings thousands of people out. Um, they're there interacting with our police officers, playing games, um, you know, giveaway of food, everything. Um, but that is a relationship that must be built with the community. They need to, to trust you. Um, in order to be honest with you and to give you, you know, victim statements, witness statements that allow us to establish probable cause and charge. So, you know, that relationship is it's also very fragile, too. It, it takes one incident like a George Floyd to destroy it. It's like a house of cards. You carefully build it over the years and then you have one incident where people no longer trust you. Um, and, you know, it's it's a very fragile relationship. We're very cognizant of that. But we put a lot of effort into into building it and cultivating it and and making it um, as much of a, a a positive thing as we possibly can. On the day that we're recording this interview, it's an anniversary that certainly resonates with the town of Westfield, something that I personally um, was touched by because I happened to be a member of the church that was involved with this. It was the John List murders. And Nobody is still working for the Westfield Police Department, I assume, who was involved with that case when it first broke. But I would imagine the effects of that are still felt 
by the Westfield Police Department. How does that impact you and other officers when you think about what happened in early 1970s? Yeah, I think it was what, 1972? I believe you're uh, 71, yeah, 72. You know, I'm not the sure. officers that were involved in that incident, um, they're all they're long retired. Um, but, um, you know, when you tell people that you're the chief of police in Westfield or you're a police officer in Westfield, they immediately associate John List with the town of Westfield. So he is famous and not in a good way. Um, you know, I, I, I routinely drive through Fairview Cemetery and near my father's grave, there is the John List grave. Uh, well, the, the grave of his families, uh, his family members. And it's, it's very, you know, it, it sticks with you. I mean, it's it's not a good thing to be remembered uh, for a mass murder that occurred in your town. Um, and even though it, it occurred before I was born, um, it's, you know, to be a member of this department. And, you know, in our display case out front is a photograph of the bust of John List. As a matter of fact, in my desk drawer here is one of the original wanted FBI wanted posters of of John List that somebody gave me, you know, thinking it would be a, a cherished um, heirloom here for display in the police department. You know, um, it's 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 certainly part of Westfield's history. Uh, it's not something that's going to go away. It's it's continually perpetuated through. I think NJ.com just did a uh, you know a, a podcast series on it, which was e extremely interesting. But you know, there to be remembered for for something like that is is not good. You know. Um, but it, it, it is what it is. Our, our officers uh, were faced with a very unfortunate situation back in the 1970s to discover, you know, those bodies in a, in a mansion and 431 Hillside Avenue still resonates um, with all of us here as, as, a, as, as a site of one of the most atrocious crimes in, in Westfield's history. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're we, we've moved on from that. It's it's long gone. Justice has been served. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of our officers here who came over from the New Jersey Department of Corrections um, actually um, served in the prison where John List um, was serving his time up until the time of his death and, and knew him, um, you know, knew him by name and, and they had regular communications. Um, it's just yeah, it's to be remembered for for an atrocious crime like that. You know, um, right now, everybody seems to associate Westfield with the Watcher House mm -hmm. on the boulevard, which is another, you know, uh, uh, not exactly a, a great reason to to know Westfield. Um, but there's a lot more to that story. And, and, and a lot of it was blown out of proportion. But again, to be remembered for 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 things that are not so positive in the world, uh, not a good thing. As we close, I want to touch back on the thing that I mentioned at the very opening of the podcast. You live in Cranford. How yeah. long have you lived in Cranford and uh, why did you choose to live in Cranford? Well, I'll tell you, I, I've been in Cranford for 12 years. Absolutely love it. Um, live, you know, just outside the downtown area. We walk down to some of our favorite restaurants and and I'll tell you, Westfield's um, downtown has really lagged a bit. Cranford has really uh, stepped up their game. It's it's a it's a, a a great place to go with your family for dinner and and to walk the streets. And I've been there for about twelve to twelve years or so. Uh, initially, I was I was looking for a house in Westfield, having been born and raised here. Um, but an opportunity opened up in Cranford. We we got um, you know exactly what we were looking for. Great location. Um, my kids uh, have have really thrived in Cranford in the schools, playing sports. Um, everything about it has has been fantastic. Um, just a beautiful town. It reminds me very much of Westfield, but it is also distinctly different. Um, my son still and my wife get upset because my son plays football for Cranford High School, but I still wear my Blue Devil apparel to Cranford <laughs> football games. 
games. I, I've not quite become a cougar yet. Um, <laughs> I still am a Blue Devil at heart, but um, I'm very pleased that the decision my wife and I made to to settle in Cranford because it's an absolutely fabulous town. Well, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask, and I was going to say this is probably the toughest question that I've asked you during this whole interview is, if Cranford is playing Westfield, who do you root for? <laughs> well, hands down, it's it's Westfield. Um, you know, <laughs> but um, any other day of the week, it would be Cranford in any sport. Um, and Cranford has a fantastic sports program. I don't have to tell you, my son was part of uh, the football team when they played in uh, MetLife Stadium, uh, what, three years ago when they won a – you know, a sectional championship, but eventually lost. But, you know, just, um, you know, uh, Blue Devil at heart because I was born and raised here. But uh, close behind is, you know, my kids are Cranford Cougars. And, uh, you know, I, I still still very proud to be a Blue Devil having been raised in this town. And, and you'll never get it out of me. There's also <laughs> orange running through my blood, too, from the Clemson Tigers where I went to school. But, um, you know, the Cranford Cougars are, are right up there. <laughs> Oh, we've been talking on this episode of Cranford Radio with the Westfield Police Chief, Christopher Battaloro. Chris, thanks again so much for being my guest on Cranford Radio. Thank you. My pleasure.